You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. You know, turning your scriptures to Romans 1. We've got a picture from, this is, would have been maybe three weeks ago, from Bodie. Is Bodie here today? Bodie, thank you for this picture. I love it. This is the first picture I've gotten from Bodie, and I look forward to many more. This is heaven. So, Bodie has got a lot of colors going on in there, and we're thankful for that. So, uh, thankful for all the pictures. There's some others up on the wall back there, catch up from the past few weeks. One's got uh, McDonald's. You hear about McDonald's last week and the fries. Somebody drew about that, and, and there's other stuff back there so, or in the front, so look that up. All right, well, let's come to the Word of God today, what we want to hear from. We want to hear from His Word. So, two verses perhaps familiar to you in this book of Romans. Let's begin in verse 16 and 17. I read to you when we began verses 8 through 15, so a little context, but here let's start in 16. (coughs) For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous righteous shall live by faith. Let's pray once again. Lord, we just pray that you would guide, guide my words as I preach, Lord, that they would be directing and exalting of your name today. We've sung about your name and we pray that we would exalt your name even as we as we listen to and study and think on your word today. So guide, guide my words, guide our thoughts, guide those that are hearing today um, that you would bring to mind what you desire by your spirit uh, through the text that is before us. We thank you for what we have. We thank you for this fellowship. And now, Lord, lead us by your spirit to hear from you and apply this to our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Paul proclaims here in these few verses, in fact, the very first words of verse 16, that he is not ashamed of the gospel. And I want to ask just right off the bat, kind of an introduction, but we're kind of just almost right into the text here. What would cause him to say this? Why does Paul feel like he needs to say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel? Why are these words here how and and maybe thinking how might one become ashamed of the gospel what are what are some things here first before we look at that let's just define shame here because paul says i'm not ashamed so what does what does shame mean and where i go i head to webster's 1828 here's at least some of it in part it says shame is a painful sensation excited by a consciousness of guilt or of having done something which injures reputation, or by of that which nature or modesty prompts us to conceal. That's kind of an old definition, but I think shame is akin to this. Maybe there's the shame of there's hiding. There's embarrassment, maybe. Maybe there's an injured, you heard, I think, in that definition, an injured reputation. Now, Maybe there are more here, but I think there's at least there's three reasons that come to mind here as we, as we study why is Paul saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I think 
three things that might make him want to say this. Number one, thinking of the Jewish audience uh, that Paul is writing to in part. Not just the Jewish, I think there's Jew and Gentile, but maybe to Paul's Jewish audience, they might ridicule this gospel of grace. And they would say, no, that's a departure from the law. One, one commentator put it that uh, Paul was maybe preaching a, a law-free gospel. And so to the Jew, you know, they take offense at that. Where's the law in this? And so Paul's saying, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. Uh, another one might be just, the, just kind of brainstorming, thinking it's just the setting of Rome. What about in regard to where Paul is writing this letter to, this, this very center of Rome, a center of Greek Roman culture, kind of the maybe the New York or the Hollywood of the day. Perhaps there was this potential for the fear of man in speaking of this gospel of Jesus Christ. As Paul would say in 1 Corinthians, uh, just prior to where Milt read from this morning, that you know the gospel looks like foolishness to Gentiles. I mean, Christ crucified, kind of God is on a, on a tree. That looks like weakness. Maybe they looked like fools. Maybe that's what was going on in this setting. And Paul's saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. If the world should say, I'm a fool, then so be it for Christ. But even so, maybe third, perhaps the temptation's even even more personal. Uh, Could it be that even our own pride and self-determination, we think it's kind of shameful, it's embarrassing to admit our weakness to save ourselves. Um, I'll try to explain it. If, if you're like me, we're, we're prone to reason that by our own effort, we can affect somehow our salvation. You know, we've got this. By my might, somehow by my strength, I can do this. But as we're going to see, we're going to see what we've seen in this passage, the gospel is all about the power of God. It's His righteousness given to us in Christ. And so it's all about our inability to save ourselves. And so the gospel clobbers, or it it ought to clobber, our own self-pride, our own might that says, I can do this. That we're not ashamed to say, I'm weak to do this. I'm unable to save myself. I can't do this. I can't earn enough merits, do enough things to merit God's favor towards me. So we ought not be ashamed that in order to be saved, God must work on our behalf. Well, let's look at this powerful salvation a bit more. So let's look into verse 16. Let's just read it in its entirety. We've looked at this first part. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel is God's powerful salvation to all who believe. It's power. It's might. It's strength. Now, Paul refers to the power of the gospel in 1 Corinthians. So let's go there. Why don't you head to 1 Corinthians. We're going to read. I love how God does this. We're going to read the passage right before where Milt already read from. So look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at verse 17. I want you to head there. We're going to look at 25. This powerful gospel, this uh, particular letter to the Corinthians uh, seems to have been written prior to Paul's writing to the Romans. So this is going back in time just a bit, I think, maybe even less than a year. 
But here we get a view towards what Paul might have in mind. What is this power of God for salvation? What's, what's he maybe thinking here? So look at uh, 1 Corinthians, if you're in chapter 1, look at verse 17. I'm going to start there and just read through verse 25. Now this is Paul again. So I love it when Scripture helps us understand other Scripture. It's the, it's the best commentary there is. So here it is. Paul says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. The power is in the cross of Christ. And now he goes on, verse 18. For the word of the cross, it's folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. What's at the heart of Paul's message and the gospel? It's Christ crucified. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so back in Romans, this power of God for salvation, it's not some power apart from Christ. In fact, it's centered on Christ, in Christ. Even in Romans 1-4 that we studied weeks ago now, we saw Christ, He was, remember, He was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. And this power of salvation, of God's salvation, not just a New Testament idea, not just an idea from Paul. David himself, just one place, says this in Psalm 140, verse 7. You can write it down. Psalm 140, verse 7 speaks of the power of God's salvation. It says it this way, David. O Lord, my Lord, the strength, uh, Greek translation of the Hebrew says the power, same Greek word, O Lord, my Lord, the strength of my salvation. You have covered my head in the day of battle. Or to read it with power, O Lord, my Lord, the power of my salvation. You have covered my head in the day of battle. The gospel is powerful, but the power comes from this God of deliverance and salvation toward those who believe. One writer, Leon Morris, he says it this way, the gospel is not advice to people suggesting that they lift themselves. It is power. It lifts them up. Paul does not say that the gospel brings power, but that it is power and God's power at that. When the gospel is preached, this is not simply so many words being uttered. The power of God is at work. And when the gospel enters anyone's life, it is as though the very fire of God had come upon him. There is warmth and light in his life. When God graciously bestows his salvation on a sinner like you and me, 
there is power at work in that life. We might look to the mountains and say, wow, what powerful mountains or structures. What, what powerful are a big cargo ship. What a powerful this or that. Or look at the thunderstorms. It's the power of that or the great and mighty miracles even. But let us not miss this most powerful work of our God to give life to one, is de- one who is dead in sin. The gospel, our salvation, our unrighteousness, and God's giving His righteousness to us by faith is His powerful working in dead men like us to look to Him for salvation. And So this gospel of God, it powerfully saves. But it's not universal in this sense. It's not universal that it saves everybody. It saves, you see in the text, it saves everyone who believes, for those who would believe. And that's what Paul makes clear. Yes, for the Jew, Jew first, then the Greek, all who believe, all who by faith look to Jesus. But what of this belief and this faith? Is there a certain level of believing? Is is faith then a certain Maybe it's a work we must do to be saved. We know we're not saved by works, but then he introduces to everyone who believes. So now, did Paul just kind of slip in another, another work to be done? No. We've got to hold anchor there. Salvation is where? It's by the power of God. So what of faith then? Another commentator, Doug Moo. It's M-O-O. That's his last name. I'm sure he got picked on a lot growing up. Didn't he? But that's his name, Douglas Moe. He writes in part, he says this, Although we must never go to the extreme of making the person a totally passive instrument through whom believing occurs, for Paul makes clear that people are responsible to believe, we must also insist that believing is not something we do in the sense of works, but is always a response and accepting of the gift God holds out to us in His grace. As Calvin puts it, faith is a kind of vessel with which we come empty and with the mouth of our soul open to seek God's grace. Believing, then, while a genuinely human activity possesses no merit or worth for which God is somehow bound to reward us. For salvation is from first to last God's work. And to glory, all the glory be to God for this work of salvation. For us to look at our faith and then begin to, what kind of faith and enough faith and I will get it enough. And we'll get it maybe as we go through Romans, talk more about faith and that idea and how much and the intensity and all, all those sorts of things. But faith is a response. It's not merit. And be, Let us be careful of this trap. The, the making of faith, the intensity of the faith to measure our salvation. No, it's who our faith is in. Who are we looking to? Faith responds to God's gracious and powerful to His call to what? To even see Christ. That God in His grace opens our eyes to see Christ and embrace Him as our Lord and Savior. So, The gospel is this power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. 
deliverance and salvation. It's the heart of the gospel. God, it's God who frees us from sin. It's God who reconciles us to Himself. It's God who grants us the hope of eternal life with Him. So let us not be, whatever it is, if it's culture, if it's our own, let us not be ashamed of this great work of God. And when we make it our work, what do we do? We steal His glory in this. We make it our, ours. Well, verse 17, maybe you've caught on to these, these, this little three-letter four. There are four fours in the passage that we're in. For I'm not ashamed, for it is the power of God, for salvation. And then verse 17 begins with another four. And so let's look at verse 17. For in it, in the gospel, in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, this is a little, it's a little difficult. We're going to try to work through this. What, what is going on here? Because at first glance, it's kind of, can be a little challenging. And hopefully I'll, I'll help towards an explanation here and try to look at this. We're going we're to look at faith in a minute. But first, let's, let's look at this, this idea in it, in the gospel. This, this, there's this revealing of God's righteousness. What is this? In it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. What is this revealed righteousness? And I think, I think there's two aspects that we can look at. Not, not two different righteousness, but two aspects as we look at righteousness in the gospel. The one is that in the gospel we see God's righteousness, that He is righteous. And then there's that righteousness that's applied to us by faith in Christ. Look at that in a little bit. What about God as righteous? Psalm 11, verse 7 declares, For the Lord is righteous. Zephaniah, chapter 3, verse 5. Zephaniah, it's condemning this rebellious, this defiled city of Jerusalem, and it says this, The Lord within her is righteous. He does no injustice. Every morning He shows forth His justice. Each dawn He does not fail but the unjust knows no shame. So God is just. God is righteous. Even Habakkuk 1.13. We'll come to Habakkuk in a little bit. Even there it describes him as one who is of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. This is our righteous God. And yet, in God's righteousness, I think there's another aspect like we talked about is this righteousness being revealed. If you just kind of glance at verse 18, there's a similar, kind of a parallel revealing. And we'll look at this the next time we're here. But there the revealing, it's this wrath of God is revealed. So in verse 17, there's a righteousness of God revealed. In verse 18, there's a wrath of God that's revealed, and it's revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. But to those of faith in the gospel, God's righteousness is revealed. It's, it's maybe another way to say it's made known. It's brought to light. So how can this righteousness be revealed? How can this be? And at this point, I'm just going to pull from what's to come in Romans. So if you'll just pull with me, we're going we're to fast forward a bit to chapter 3, uh, verse, verses 21 through 22. So just turn over there, and we're going to let Paul kind of speak there and pull that back to where we're at. Help us, Paul. Help us understand this revealing of righteousness. Here's what it says here in chapter 3, verse 21 and 22. 
but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith, where? Not where? In Jesus Christ for all who believe. He goes on to say there's no distinction. All have sinned, all fall short. Justified by His grace is a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And we just keep going. (laughs) Can we stop there? Whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Righteousness is centered squarely on this revelation of Jesus Christ to our eyes of faith. The law reveals our sin just above verse 20, and if you're still in chapter uh, 3, through the law comes knowledge of, of sin. And so the, re- the law reveals our sin. Jesus Christ reveals God's righteousness. Who was? Jesus was accursed of God. He bore that wrath and satisfied it. That's, that's that great word in here, propitiation. The, I've got the ESV uh, explanation, the complete satisfaction of the wrath of God. That's what Jesus did on the cross, satisfying this wrath. And so thus all who put their faith in Christ are justified. They're declared to be righteous on account of Christ. Not our own. We, it's imputed to us. It's His righteousness. And so God's justice is poured out. And God's righteous, so He's just to pronounce wrath on sin. Well, it's poured out on Christ, on that cross. And thus God can declare us righteous who by faith look to Christ. So faith in Christ, I think it's central to the righteousness of God. Paul puts it this way. You don't have to go there, but 1 Corinthians 6. If you're in the Bible reading, you just just saw this maybe, I forget, yesterday maybe it was. Puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. He says this. I mean, kind of, we think about this and it sounds harsh. Listen to it. Oh, he says, or, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And we listen to that and we ought to hear the And then he says, and such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All right, well, back in Romans 1, this righteousness of God in verse 17, it's revealed. And then we've got this phrase after it, from faith, for faith. And it's kind of a di- it can be a difficult phrase to understand. One commentator, I'll just take his, his view on it, puts it quite simply. Paul is just simply emphasizing, if, you, if he could say it a different way, it's from faith through and through. This righteousness is revealed from faith through and through. Here God grants both an eye to see God's righteousness He is righteous, and I am not. And then God grants an eye to see that salvation 
in Christ, whereby the unrighteous is declared righteous by faith in the righteous one, in Jesus Christ. And so Paul concludes this little section here, these two verses, and says, as it is written here, makes an appeal to the Word of God, in fact, to the Old Testament, comes from Habakkuk 2.4, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let's go here, and let's look here last. Head back, I don't know when the last time you were at Habakkuk, but head back, it's page 1723 in my Bible, but that's not going to help most of you. Uh, look about Habakkuk. If you find uh, Micah, you're close. Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. Find chapter 2. Take a little time. I'll give you a little time to find Habakkuk. Go to the contents. Look there if you need to. He was a prophet in the days leading up to this, the, the Babylonian invasion of Judah. So we're backing up from Paul maybe... 650 years prior. So that's where we're backing up to in Habakkuk. And interestingly, this is where Paul is gathering this from here. And so in this book of Habakkuk, I considered reading more of it, but we won't. It, it, I'm, even for me, it's going to take some time to, to understand it. But in chapter 2, if you find verse 2, that's kind of where I'm going to read from. Uh, in Habakkuk's eyes, it seems that the wicked, the wicked... To the, to the eyes of Habakkuk, this prophet, it looks like the wicked seem to just do as they please, while God just kind of stands idly by. The wicked just, they're, they're getting away with it. And his question is, O Lord, I think this is verse 1 of the whole book, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? And so then there's this, you know, what will I answer? Uh, He says at the end, well, the first verse of chapter 2, concerning my complaint. And then in verse 2, the Lord answers. So let's just read a portion of God's answer uh, in chapter 2, just verses 2 through 4 here. So the Lord answers uh, Habakkuk here. The Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. And then verse 4. Here's the verse. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. All right. So let's think about this a little bit. There's a vision you saw in verse 3. This vision that waits for its appointed time. God's righteous wrath and judgment is going to come upon the wicked and it will come in time. Habakkuk's salvation, as it were, it's coming. He he needs to wait for it. I, I don't know. Wait, faith, hoping. I think there's some tie there. But he's waiting for this appointed time of this vision. And so we ask in verse 4 then, what about this? There's two lines here. What about this soul that's puffed up, this soul that is not upright within him? I I think this is the soul of the wicked. His soul, whose soul? The wicked soul is puffed up. It's not upright. And in chapter 1, verse 11, God said there of the wicked that their own might is their God. This is interesting. Their own might has become their God. Think about this as we're thinking about the power of God and salvation. Here's the wicked that my own might can save me. What a contrast. 
they trust, they believe, they've got faith where? In their own power. Uh, Jeremiah 17.5 says it this way. It says, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. I, I don't know there if that's the same word for power in the Greek that we're looking at today, but that's where his heart turns away from the Lord and our heart turns away when we say, I'll do it in my own strength. But what of the righteous one here? Verse 4, the second part of verse 4 answers, the righteous shall live by his faith. Now, if you can see these small numbers here, I've got at least in the ESV, it says, but the righteous shall live by his faith, and then there's a little number one. And another way of maybe translating this word for faith is faithfulness. So it could read, the righteous shall live by his faithfulness. And we're just, maybe we're just flooded with questions. Whose faith? His faith? Faithfulness? Who's faithful? All these, these things. So hang in there. Because I, I think in a way, I think we can see both are, both are even true. The righteous live by faith. Maybe his own faith. The righteous shall live by his faith. For instance, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So that's, that's living by faith. But it's equally true that Abraham, in his faith, what did he trust in? The promises of God, the faithfulness of God. So the righteous shall live by his faithfulness, maybe God's faithfulness. We live by faith in the promises of God because he's faithful to all his promises. They're actually all yes in Christ. Paul says it this way in chapter 8 of Romans, and, he, and you don't need to go there, but he speaks of this, this waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, kind of this, this, this already, we're already sons of God through Christ, and yet we wait for what will fully be one day. Christ returns and we live with him in his presence forever says it this way in Romans 8, 24 and 25. For in this hope we were saved. Now, now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Habakkuk was to wait for the vision. To wait, I'd say, to live by faith. To wait on and by faith also hope in the promise of God. And so Paul quotes this, this righteous, the righteous shall live by faith, hoping in the promise of God. Interestingly, this is quoted in Galatians 3 and the writer of Hebrews also in chapter 10. You see the same, this, the righteous shall live by faith. All right, so let me try to land this plane from 30,000 feet. And we're, we're in Habakkuk and what? Faith and faithfulness and try to land without crashing here. But let's just say this as we kind of bring this to a close. The, the power of God for salvation, the power of God for salvation is that God grants faith to the unrighteous to see at once both the righteousness of God and, and their own unrighteousness their sin, and he grants the faith to embrace Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord. This faith in Christ can be small, small, how small? Small as a mustard seed. But also, by God's work in his spirit, it can grow, I think, over time to trust and believe in the promises of God. 
and a trust to both it presently saves and it declares righteous the one who has faith in Christ. And that one with faith in Christ waits for this ultimate fulfillment when we will be with the Lord forever in glory. The righteous shall live by faith. The righteous do not live by their own might, power, or strength, but they live by the power of God to save them, and that looks like the, the folly of the cross. So our boast is it's, it's not in ourselves, as 1 Corinthians speaks about. It's not in our own might. It's not even our own faith. Our boast is not, look at my faith. Our boast is only in the one who faith looks to. Our boast is in Jesus Christ. From what Milt read, he's our wisdom. He's our right. That's what it says. He's our wisdom. He's our righteousness. He's our sanctification. He's our redemption. Do you see the pointing of Scripture? And if you feel like, Boy, that sounds like a broken record. I think you've said that before. Yes and yes and yes. Until we, and in glory, we will, you know, in our glorified bodies, get it finally and stop forgetting that it all points to Christ. He is our Savior. Faith looks pretty weak and shameful to a world who would rather trust in man and his might then acknowledge weakness and dependence on God alone for salvation. But that's the gospel. May we, may we never be ashamed to proclaim what we have in Christ because of Christ. May we not feel like, man, I should be, I should be here by now. Yes, mature, grow, let God move you, but never get away from Christ. The temptation is to... to to get away from that by my own power. I ought to be doing this on my own by now. No, that's why I came to save you and to look to him. And then, and then let us not be ashamed as well to proclaim this gospel to others, even in the midst of a hostile world. There's a culture and a culture racing to its own end. Let us be bold. Let us bold to proclaim it. To not be timid. You know, we think we're not timid with, I was thinking of Packers and Vikings. I don't know why it always goes there, but we still wear the Packers lost. I still wear the Packers hat. You're st- some of you are still wearing the Vikings, and they lost. We all lost, you know. We still wear that. We're not ashamed, right? We're a Packers fan, Vikings, whatever it is. We're still bold, or, or we share things about our kids, or we share these, these great things that are happening. We're not ashamed of that. I'm not like, yeah, I'm a pet. We're bold. Let us, oh, how much more be bold to proclaim the gospel, to not be ashamed. And I don't, there's some fear within us. I think it's just, it boils down to fear of man. What are they going to think? I'm kind of going to think I'm really religious. Yes, look, because you look to Christ. Be bold. Now preach that to me as much as to you. May we be bold and not ashamed of this powerful gospel of God to save sinners. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that you take the weak and the ignoble, the foolish, and you point us to Christ by your mercy. Oh Lord, protect us from putting our faith in our faith. 
putting our faith of salvation in our maturity. Lord, help us mature. Grow us through trials, through suffering. But help us to never lose sight of this great gospel of the righteousness that is ours in Christ Jesus. We can proclaim no other good news. It is the best news. And Lord, may we start what we will do for eternity to exalt this Lamb of God slain for the sins of the nations. And may we begin that exaltation as we proclaim your name to a lost world and to even our our own hearts as we rehearse the gospel ourselves. We pray this all in your name. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.